Welcome to the Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm Dan West. Today's episode features Montana Attorney General and 2020 Republican gubernatorial candidate Tim Fox. We talk about his experience growing up in Hardin, attending the University of Montana, and his path into politics. Before getting to our conversation, a word about our sponsors and the DC update. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, the Montana Mint supports this podcast. Together, we are striving to make Montana politics more accessible for all Montanans. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out the Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com and subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics. And check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. This episode is also made possible by the Hotel Finland in the great city of Butte, Montana. Locally owned and operated in the heart of Montana, the Hotel Finland offers affordable luxury and relaxation options at the same price or cheaper as those boring chain hotels along the interstate. Because in Montana, chains are for tires. Experience all the grit and glamour Uptown Butte has to offer. Walk to some of the best eats and drinks in the second largest historic district in the USA by staying at the crown jewel of Uptown, the Hotel Finland. The Montana Mint and the Montana Middle partner with Montana brands and companies like Hotel Finland because we all love Montana. Next time you're staying in Butte, book your room at the Hotel Finland, F-I-N-L-E-N.com, finland.com. Thanks again to our sponsors. Now here's the DC update. Congress passed an appropriations bill to fund the federal government through the rest of the fiscal year, averting another government shutdown, but also giving the president only a fraction of the border security money he wanted to build a wall. Democrats saw it as a rebuke to the president, while Republicans called it a down payment. This sparked the president to declare a national emergency to use existing Defense Department funds to make up the difference. Here is Congressman Gianforte advocating for more wall funding on the House floor a few days before that. Patrol agents recently made the largest fentanyl bust in the agency's history. A suspect attempted to cross our southern border with nearly 400 pounds of meth and enough fentanyl to kill 57 million Americans. Montana faces a meth epidemic that is tearing our families apart. We must secure the border to cut off the meth supply that cartels push through the ports of entry and across our poorest borders. Securing the border with a physical barrier enjoys bipartisan support. More than 60 Democrats in the House and the Senate have claimed a physical barrier should be part of the solution. Both U.S. Senators from Montana have voted for physical barriers. Yet, despite bipartisan support for a physical barrier, the Speaker recently declared there's not going to be any money for a wall. I urge members of the Border Security Committee to listen to lawmakers from both parties and invest in meaningful physical barrier at our southern border. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I yield back. Senator Daines also took a trip to the southern border last week to speak with border security agents and see the situation firsthand. A few days before Congress reached a funding deal, the U.S. Senate also passed one of the largest bipartisan public lands packages in recent history. Both Montana Senators Tester and Daines went to the Senate floor to urge passage of this package, which included several provisions that benefit Montana. Here's Senator Daines. Mr. President, I'm here today to urge my Senate colleague to support Senate Bill 47, the lands package. This includes over 100 locally driven 
as well as nationally important bills. And specifically, there are two that are very important priorities for Montana. The first is the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and the second is the Yellowstone Gateway Protection Act. The Land and Water Conservation Fund is a critical tool in protecting and expanding access to what makes Montana so special, and that's our public lands. This program works with willing landowners. You see, when you look at a map of land ownership in Montana, it becomes oftentimes very checkerboard in nature. You have sections owned privately, sections owned by the state government, sections owned by the federal government. What LWCF does is it allows willing landowners to provide more access to public lands as well as increasing outdoor recreation opportunities for cities and towns. It helps multi-generational farmers and ranchers and loggers continue to work their land. And yet, without permanent reauthorization of this critical program, it will continue to expire, Congress after Congress, putting so much of what makes Montana the last best place at risk. Because in Montana, public lands are a way of life. For Cindy and for me, we can think of no better experience than to put backpacks on and head up to the Beartooth Wilderness, for example, during the weeks of August. This is about teaching future generations of Montanans to love the outdoors and to spend time outside because we can access these public lands. Just the way my parents did with me growing up in Bozeman and just the way I did with our four children. But it's not just about our way of life, it's also about our economy. Because public lands help spur a $7 billion outdoor economy in Montana. That creates thousands of jobs in our state, and they supply almost $300 million in state and local tax revenue. People all over Montana know the importance of this program. And we can't keep, that per, keep kicking that proverbial can down the road on this critical program for Montana. It is time we permanently authorize this program once and for all. Here's Senator Tester. Look, I am very proud to stand here on behalf of uh, countless Montana businesses, small businesses, community members who had a crazy idea a few years ago about not wanting an out-of-state mining company, actually not even wanting an out-of-country mining company, a foreign mining company, to expand a mine on the doorstep of Yellowstone National Park. And I am standing here today to tell them that I heard them, I listened to them, and I was not going to stop until this bill was signed into law. I want to take you back about four years. A group of small business owners who cared about the future of their community got together. After they caught wind of two mining companies who were planning to expand their operations on nearby public land, which threatened the area's rapidly growing outdoor economy, one of the fastest growing economies in the state of Montana. This mine expansion was set to take place in a place that we call Paradise Valley. And that place is called Paradise Valley for an obvious reason. It truly is a piece of paradise. It is the headwaters of the Yellowstone River, which is one of the longest undammed rivers in the world. And Paradise Valley is flanked on both sides by legendary mountain ranges, the Gallatins, the Gallatins and the Absarokas. 
and it is the gateway to our nation's first national park, Yellowstone. These business owners who ran fly shops and breweries and guide and outfitter businesses and dozens of other local hangouts rely on the literally hundreds of thousands of visitors that flock to this region to experience something that they can experience nowhere else on earth. And they were rightly concerned that a multiple large-scale mining operation would put their local economy at risk and, in fact, put them out of business. So I went in October of 2015 and met with these folks. I listened to their concerns that these mines would devastate their businesses and the breathtaking landscape in which they've chosen to live. And in that moment, it was clear to me that the community needed permanent protection. So I announced my intent to introduce the bill, one of the bills that's in this land package that we're taking up here today to do exactly that, provide permanent protection to the Paradise Valley. After months of working together, this bill became known as the Yellowstone Gateway Protection Act. This bill is a result of collaboration. It's a result of hard work. And it does exactly what's in the title. It will protect the gateway to Yellowstone by permanently eliminating the ability for proposed mines to expand onto public land near the doorstep of our nation's first national park, Yellowstone. Responsible natural resource development plays an important role in Montana's economy, but there are simply some places where you should not drill or dig, and one of those is at the doorstep of Yellowstone National Park. That's it for the D.C. update. Now, here's my conversation with Montana Attorney General Tim Fox. Mr. Fox, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you very much uh, for having me on. It's a great opportunity to visit a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, before we get to questions about your work as the Attorney General, It'd be great to talk a little about your childhood and your path into law. You grew up in Hardin, and then you studied geology at the University of Montana before going to law school. So you've had a well-rounded Montana background. Let's start with Hardin. What was it like growing up there? Well, you know, Hardin is uh, kind of a sleepy little ranching and farming town. Uh, It's on the uh, Bighorn River, uh, real close to the confluence of the Little Bighorn and the Bighorn. A lot of history in that area, as you might know, with the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And there were two very prominent uh, Native American reservations close by, the the Crow Reservation, or Absolica people, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. and the Northern Cheyenne. And my parents were uh, small business people. They were in partnership with my other two sets of aunt and uncles. Uh, they had come to Hardin uh, shortly after World War II, Hmm. Uh, somewhat at the invitation of my Uncle Ken and Aunt Lil. Uh, My Uncle Ken was a petroleum landman, and so he would go out and do research uh, on uh, trying to find oil and gas plays uh, for a company. And he had a a deferment, if you will, from being uh, in the military because of Hmm. the importance of getting oil and gas. Anyway, my parents were Depression-era uh, children. Um, they grew up with very little. Uh, they were very frugal individuals, uh, hardworking, had great work ethics, and 
Uh, my dad was a, a very accomplished musician, a violinist. Hmm. My mother was also into music. Uh, and uh, so they, you know, a lot of the attributes that have gotten me to where I am today, I, you know, safe to say, like a lot of people, uh, came from my parents. I have four older brothers uh, who repeatedly would <laughs> drag me outside and, and beat me up every once in a while. I'm just kidding there. Uh, although we did have our scuffle, <laughs> sure. um, but you know, went to the public schools there and uh, started working jobs at an early age. We were always uh, uh, required, I guess you'd call it, to to pitch in at home. So we had our chores. Uh, I think my first allowance was a dime a week. Uh, worked my way up from there. Um, but uh, you know, I have fond memories of growing up in Hardin. Uh, we didn't lock our doors at night. Um, everyone was pretty close to one another, uh, really loved the Native American uh, culture and people who were not only doing business with my family, but uh, went to school with them, they have friends, etc., even to, you know, lifelong friends today. So um, I guess, you know, looking back, I kind of see it as somewhat of an idyllic uh, childhood. Hmm. Um, you know, we, I loved the out of doors, learning how to hunt with my dad, um, you know, going backpacking, uh, fishing and all those good things that you get to do when you live in Montana. Yeah, certainly. Well, I can see, uh, a lot more color in this picture now. And, and I, I, I can sort of see why, why maybe you, uh, decided to major in geology. Was that your uncle's influence? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. My okay. uncle, uh, took me out to my first oil drilling rig. Hmm. Um, I had a deep love, I guess you'd call it a rock hound and fossil hunter. Um, there are lots of uh, fossils, uh, mostly invertebrate fossils up and down the Bighorn River. And we'd get permission from landowners to go out on the, the shale formations and uh, dig for ammonites and baculites and lots of other kinds of fossils. Um, so I kind of decided when I was in high school that I wanted to be a geologist. And uh, ultimately, that's what my undergraduate degree was. And I went to the University of Montana on a track and field scholarship. And uh, hmm. that helped pay my way through undergraduate school. Hmm. What events did you do? You know, I was a hurdler, uh, did sprints, hurdles and jumps. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, took me all around the world, all around the country. Um, I ran after college for a shoe company for a while. I aspired to what? try to make the Olympic team back in the day. Didn't quite make it, but gave it a good shot. Uh, that's that's really interesting. Wow, that's that's amazing. Uh, I I just had a flicker uh, of an image of of Judy Martz actually uh, speed skating in the Olympics. So it's kind of well, a parallel she, path. Well, she there. actually made it. She uh, actually made a it. Remarkable right. lady. Um, <laughs> She was uh, obviously much better at her sport than I was at mine. But, uh, you know, I toured Europe and uh, uh, went to a lot of big meets where there were big competitors and, and uh, you know, fond memories. Learned a lot, made a lot of friends, uh, and uh, don't regret any of that for a minute. Yeah. So how, uh, what, what drove you into law then after that? Well, you know, my first job uh, after getting my geology degree was in the oil and gas business. Okay. And it was in the early 1980s, and um, I was only 
uh, out in the workforce for about a year when we had a, uh, a bust, if you will, in the oil and gas business. Hmm. And um, there were some, there were like uh, 20, 22 or 24 people in my office uh, when I first was hired on. And then uh, in about a year, they had it down to about five of us. And then finally, um, I was riffed. And so I came home and gave it a lot of thought, uh, worked for the family business for a while, and ultimately decided that I need to go back to school and find a profession that wasn't going to be, you know, ebbing and flowing like the oil and gas business seemed to. And so I entered graduate school and worked on a master's degree in public administration uh, before entering uh, law school in oh, okay. 1984. Uh, so, and uh, just as an interesting side note, I finished most of my uh, master degree requirements got into law school and life began to happen and uh, never finished that uh, MPA degree until last summer. Oh, funny. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it brought you to law and then, but you still completed it eventually. That's, uh, yeah, it was a great regret. I met with the president, the new president of the university of Montana uh, about this time last year. And I told him that story that it was a regret I hadn't finished that and he said well let's let's get her done and so I did. <laughs> That's great and you know that should be inspiring for anyone who's who's considering, you know, trying to finish their degree or or change their degree no matter how old they are. Well, yeah, I mean I was obviously very busy and lots <laughs> of things going on in my life and um, and basically the university encouraged me uh, Dr. Sarah Rinfrey who is the MPA program chair, uh, encouraged me to do it. Um, and I actually gave the commencement speech at the first winter commencement uh, last December at the University of Montana. And my, my theme and my message was that people sh- we should be the great encouragers to others, whether we know them or not, and we can make a difference. And ultimately, when you are the encourager, uh, you become encouraged yourself. Hmm. That's a great story. So yeah, that that all fits together, and and so I guess moving into the next portion of your life, I uh, after law school, you you first entered public service when you developed a new environmental regulatory program for the Montana Board of Oil and Gas Conservation, and then later you worked for the Montana Department of Environmental Quality. How what was it like uh, having a geology degree working in those fields? Well, yeah, with both a law degree and a geology degree, as you might imagine, um, doing environmental work, natural resource, legal work, those kinds of things are a natural. And if we can backtrack just a moment, my first job in public service actually was with the Montana Supreme Court. Hmm. I was uh, what they call a law clerk for one of the justices, which is like an internship. Uh, But yeah, matching the, the law and the science background was a real natural, much of my private practice work um, early on after I left the Supreme Court uh, had to do with, uh, you know, geology, oil and gas, that kind of thing. And then I was asked to develop the first ever environmental regulatory program for the state of Montana uh, and went to work for the Board of Oil and Gas and used both my geology skills and my law skills to uh, develop uh, 
what I believe is a very important legacy of an environmental regulatory program for our state. Hmm. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah, so it, it all came back together after after uh, law school. And, uh, and then so after that, you worked in private practice, and then you worked for Governor Roscoe, and then you went to the private sector. Um, when was the first time that you realized that you wanted to run for public office yourself? Well, actually, you know, when I lived in Billings and practiced law there, um, I, I've been active in Republican politics in one way or another ever since childhood. My parents, as you might imagine, in a small farming ranching community, very conservative. Um, you know, we, when the, the politicians would come to town, you know, my family would throw fundraisers and take them around and introduce them. And so I got to know uh, people like Ron Marlinay, who was our congressman for mm-hmm. many, many years. And uh, so uh, and then when I went to college, I was involved in uh, college Republicans and uh, ultimately people in Billings, when I was practicing law there, encouraged me to run for office. But I had a young family and and uh, it just the timing wasn't right to do that, uh, to run for the legislature. And uh, but I continued to go door to door and make phone calls and and do all those things that, uh, you know, uh, help get good people elected mm-hmm. and uh, continue to be active in that regard to this day. Well, and now you're Montana's attorney general. So, so uh, you know, it was worth biding your time. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think some people who get elected to office have aspired to that since perhaps they were very young. Um and it was something I started to consider in my adult life. And again, a lot of it is timing. Mm-hmm. I ran initially in 2008 and for attorney general and lost um, and went back into private practice, a very successful private law practice here in Helena with uh, what was then uh, Helena's, actually Montana's oldest law firm and had matriculated a couple of attorneys general, a governor, a Supreme Court justice, and a number of other uh, prominent people Hmm. through the years. Uh, And uh, ultimately, when the opportunity came up again in 2012, people started encouraging me to run again. And of course, the most important person you want to encourage you to do that is your spouse. And uh, my wife, Karen, uh, has been on board with now uh, three elections and uh, we've crisscrossed the state and worked very hard um, and uh, this job that I have now is the best job I've ever had <laughs> and uh, yeah it's it, it all makes sense this pathway and it seems like it's been it's been very thoughtful and uh, but you're right you're right about the timing um, but you know congratulations again and and you've been here for for uh, I guess six years now Um what you got two years left in your term? What what are some of the top issues you're working on right now? Well, probably the the top issue right now is our substance use disorder epidemic here in our state that really impacts every corner of uh, our life as Montanans. Hmm. Um, it certainly has impacted the lives of uh, many individuals who are have a substance use disorder and maybe a co-occurring mental health disorder. Uh, Many people have overdosed, uh, families have lost loved ones, and uh, it also has greatly impacted our government services. Our our Mm. jails and prisons are full, uh, 
and our our justice system is is uh, impacted. Social services, our youth in need of care case, cases have gone through the roof. Uh, it's a the, the human factor here is just uh, mind boggling. And so, uh, several years ago, I uh, started Aid Montana, which is a project and program to bring all the stakeholders together, all Montanans really to together to find solutions and to uh, hopefully, uh, you know, make Montana safer and more healthy. And uh, we've done a lot of things toward that. And we're doing that now in the legislative session that's going on here in Helena. And, uh, you know, I have a couple of years left as attorney general, and I hope to leave things in a much better place than we found them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for your leadership on that. Yeah, I know it's a it's a pressing issue. And uh, well, it's just at least bring some comfort knowing that our, our public officials are prioritizing it. So thank you. Um, well, it, it's it's going to take us all. It's an all-hands-on-deck situation. So community yeah. leaders, churches, businesses, um, industries, uh, you know, certainly those who have been impacted by this issue, uh, we all need to find ways in which we can uh, help. Mm -hmm. And it kind of leads me to my next question. You know, as, as Attorney General, you lead Montana's Department of Justice. You spend a lot of time looking out for Montanans but you're also working with attorneys general from other states and interacting with federal courts in Congress. So um, how, about how much of your job is focused on state-specific issues versus federal-level issues? Well, I would say that 100% of my job is uh, working on state-specific issues. So an example of a federal level issue that impacts the state of Montana as well as other states is when there's federal legislation or federal regulations that might uh, violate the separation of powers in our constitution mm -hmm. um, or some other provision, maybe the second amendment rights uh, or first amendment freedoms. Um, those are all of interest to, I would say, all the states, right? And so our job is to try to assess which of those situations uh, might impact our citizens or our state sovereignty. And we would often band together with other state attorneys general, uh, either to write letters to Congress, uh, perhaps uh, comment on regulations before they become law, or maybe even sue the federal government, which we've done. Um, we also have to look out for the state's interest vis-a-vis our sister states. Uh, another example of that is uh, the work that I've been doing to uh, make sure that our West Coast states uh, discontinue their habit of violating the Commerce Clause and picking winners and losers on which commodities might be marketed to Asia and elsewhere in the in the world, and specifically coal, oil, and gas. Um, you know, our our founding. Uh, uh, fathers understood that these the states could get in the way of one another and and impact interstate commerce in an illegal way and so that's why we have the commerce clause in the constitution and it means something hmm. so you know we we uh, have a lot of things that we watch uh, we're selective on what we get involved in because of uh, whether or not first of all it impacts our state but Secondly, whether we have the horsepower to uh, do something about it, uh, but you know, it's a it's a big job, 
uh, being uh, Attorney General and leading the Montana Department of Justice, but luckily I've got a lot of help. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, th- yeah, that's an, those are interesting examples. Um, well, the one you provided about, you know, regional neighbors, what, what about, you mentioned earlier, sometimes you've, you've had to actually sue the federal government. What, what kind of cases did you have to engage on there? Well, a couple of good examples there um, are during the last administration's tenure, uh, they passed a number of rules that impacted Montana, uh, one of which was the waters of the U.S. rule, which uh, mm-hmm. was actually a series of rules and regulations uh, that essentially gave the federal government more authority uh, than Congress had uh, actually intended under the Clean Water Act. And uh, so we banded together with other states. I think ultimately uh, the states we banded together with were 23. And then I think um, there were more states across the country. Uh, We were successful in in stopping the waters of the U.S. rule. And, of course, President Trump has now uh, gone back to rulemaking to try to put in some rules that actually uh, don't violate uh, the separation of powers. Uh, that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been many, many other examples as well. Uh, and many of those cases ultimately go up to the United States Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also file what we call amicus briefs or friend friend of the court briefs, where we're not really suing anyone. We're not an intervener in a case, uh, but we'll either independently or with other state AGs uh, file uh, a brief in a court giving the court our point of view on what the law is. Mm-hmm. We do that quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Yeah. So you mentioned your term is up in 2020. So you have, you know, two more years. You mentioned the opioid crisis. What are some of your other goals between now and then? Well, certainly, uh, you know, aside from work, I've got a beautiful family. My wife and I have four children and six grandkids, and we try to spend as much time as we can with them. Uh, You've probably heard recently that I filed uh, to run for governor. You know, I'm term limited. Um, I am uh, certainly not through with public service. I think we have a a good record here at the uh, attorney general office during my tenure. I've felt all my life, as we've talked about, a call to serve. And um, I think that uh, this is an opportunity that Um, I just have to uh, give a shot at. And the initial response has been wonderful, um, and we're off and running. It'll be a long campaign trail, uh, but um, I don't want to be done in 2020. I want to continue to serve the great people of this state. Well, it sounds more like a distance runner than a a sprinter or hurdler at this point, but uh, I I really uh, commend you and 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 wish you the best of luck in in your campaign. I, I guess I'll I'll maybe just final finalize our conversation with a final question. What what would you like to do uh, as governor that you weren't able to do as attorney general? Well, actually, we've done a lot here as attorney general, and I just want to continue that record of commitment and achievement mm-hmm. in a general sense. Certainly, again, want to leave things in a better place than we found them. Uh, I want to continue to fight for Montana when it comes to our state sovereignty and what's good for our economy and for our people. I will continue to work on uh, trying to address the substance use disorder crisis because it's taken us years to get here and it'll 
take us many, many years to, to uh, get that taken care of. I've worked very hard with, to work with law enforcement to make our community safer, and I can continue to do that uh, as Attorney General. And uh, certainly our, our freedoms are important to me, and so our Second Amendment rights, our First Amendment rights, uh, those are things that I'll continue to fight for for Montanans as well. So uh want to promote a vibrant, all-of-the-above economy that puts our families first and capitalizes on what we have to offer here in Montana. Uh, agriculture, ranching, farming, recreation, tourism, uh, responsible natural resource development, entrepreneurship, uh, and new industries. We want to see what we can bring to Montana. So uh, those are just a few things. Um, uh, it's, being governor is a big job as well. Uh, it's important to put a big, a good team together, and I'm hoping to have that opportunity uh, if given to me by the Montana voters. Well, yeah, I wish you the best of luck, Mr. Fox, and uh, really appreciate having you on this show as well. Hopefully we can have you on again. Well, thank you, and uh, uh, thanks to your listeners for listening in, and uh, uh, I'll get back to work. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'll talk, we'll talk again soon. All right, thank you. Bye. As the U.S. Senate passed one of the largest public lands packages in recent history, Montana's state Senate also passed a bill to improve public lands in the state. Republican State Senator Terry Gauthier from Helena introduced and ushered through the Senate a bill to increase the motor vehicle fee for state parks and fishing access sites from $6 to $9. Here's State Senator Gauthier describing his bill. Madam Chair, Senate Bill 24 is a proposed light motor vehicle registration fee increase for the state parks. I personally want to say I've taken it granted for many, many years of how these park systems actually came to be. But as a kid, I went to the parks with my parents. It was something that we did all the time. I had no idea how the parks got there or any idea what happened? All I know is my dad said, we're going camping, and he found money to put in that truck of ours, and we had a small camper on the back of that truck and a tent, and off we went. So I grew up in parks, not knowing anything else. Well, now today, I'm a little bit older, I'm a teeny bit wiser, and I understand people like us need to take a look at how the parks are funded today. So what I'm looking at is now my kids are using the parks. Your kids are probably using the parks. And now my grandbabies are using the parks. So now I feel it's my responsibility as a senator here today to figure out how we're going to continue funding these parks for future generations. So there's where we're here today. So now what I'm trying to do here is what does Senate Bill 24 do? It would increase the voluntary light mode vehicle registration fees from $6 to $9. The $6 fee has been in place since 2003. That's been quite a while. Senate Bill 24 proposes a $3 increase in existing $6 registration fee for light motor vehicles. So I'm willing not to purchase that one pint of beer that I occasionally do regularly for the opportunity to fund the trail system. For anybody else out here, it could be just that one less coffee that you go to that coffee shop. This bill will increase funding to support the Montana 55 state parks that we have in the state. We'll create a new trail and recreational grant program. Doubles the funding for support for fishing access sites. State park supports 
free access to the parks. Now, until I actually read into this bill, I didn't realize if you paid this fee, you have free access to the state parks anywhere in Montana. So you don't have to pay. I do recommend that you carry your vehicle registration with you in your vehicle so you can show you paid that fee. Funds maintenance and operations of state parks. Addresses an increase in demand for park trails and recreation. 33% increase in park visitation since 2012. The return on, the, on this investment of this $3 increase will benefit several, several people in Montana, if anything. The businesses, the hotels, the restaurants, the car, if you break your car down, you're going to go see a car and get it repaired. It's going to be a trickle-down effect, so it's going to be good for the economy of Montana. And on top of this, is being the Montana tourism is at its peak like it is at 33% and still growing, this is going to be a return investment back to our general fund dollars because the more revenue we create from making our parks better for our visitors out of state to come visit, that's more money spent, more revenue collected, and we can fund the general fund, which will help pay for all the vitally important programs that we have. That's it for this episode of the Montana Middle. Music was provided by my sister, June West. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.